What's good with it? This is Mike Sarge, and the MTMV Sports Song of the Week is my song, Energy. You can listen to it now on Spotify, Apple Music, Tidal, and all other digital platforms. Man, y'all have a blessed day. Salutes to that. Hello and welcome to the Know Your Personnel Podcast. We are on all major podcast apps. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Please remember to leave us a rating. Download and share this episode with a friend so we can continue to grow the game. I'm very excited for our next guest. Let's jump in. Welcome to the next episode of the KYP Podcast. I have a very special guest for you. Uh, Coach Esprit and I go back over 15 years. Uh, he's now a Division I Associate Head Coach for Cal Baptist University. Coach Espria, thank you very much for joining. Coach, appreciate you having me. I'm really, really excited, looking forward to, to this moment. And, uh, yeah, I can't wait to get to it. So I'm looking at your, your, your career here. You've spent 10 years at the Division I level, three years as an associate head coach, two years at JC, and two years at Division II. Um, we're going to go through all of that here. But first I want to talk about you going, growing up in Columbia because you're from a different country, a, a whole different world. And I want to talk about how you got into basketball and how you kind of came out here. So if you can coach, talk to me about growing up in Columbia and what it's like playing basketball out there. Yeah. I mean, I would like to start with uh, my family. I have uh, three older sisters. Uh, I was the youngest. They used to beat the crap out of me. <laughs> and that's just kind of how I went. Uh, my dad uh, was in the military and essentially almost in every branch of the armed forces in Colombia. So <clears throat> there was a lot of discipline in the house. And finally, when I got bigger and stronger enough to, to pay the favor back to my sisters, obviously he didn't allow me to, to uh-huh. do that. Uh, and I thought that was kind of unfair. So that was kind of, you know, mom, dad. Uh, my mom was an educator. She was a teacher for uh, 30 years, high school teacher for 30 years. And like I said, my dad, just a very disciplined, disciplined man. So that was kind of how I grew up. Um, and then basketball really um, started with in high school. Now, high school is a little bit different back home because we don't have junior high mm-hmm. like we do here in the States. So <clears throat> in high school, you have six years. So when I showed up, my mom moved me up. And, and trust me, it's not because I was smarter than the other kids. I have no idea what she did that, mm-hmm. you know. But she moved me up. So when I started high school, again, in six years back home, um, I was 11 at wow. the time, 11 years old. So the, the high school coach showed me as like, who's this kid? And I'm running around. I never, I never played basketball before in my life. It was, it was just soccer and, you know, and just playing with kids. That was just kind of, you know, from the moment you were born until I was 10, I was just a normal, regular kid. Mm-hmm. And by the time I was 10 and a half, 11, and I got to high school, that's when he introduced me to, to, to basketball. And, and I, it was almost out of I just loved the game, start playing, um, make the JV team, uh, JV team. And then a year later, I was able to make the varsity high school team. And so now I'm practicing literally for about four hours because nice. I'm done with the JV team. And then I'm moving on with the varsity team. Then the following year, uh, I was able to make the state team. So I got better pretty quick. And then, and then it was the same thing. I made the state team. Uh, for the 12-year-old kids, and then I was also practicing with the 14th and 15th after my practice. So, you know, because sometimes I kind of start thinking, okay, how how did I get better? Well, I was putting in about five, six hours every day, and, and I did that for about four years on top of, you know, playing in the playgrounds with the grown men and, and doing all that stuff, and, and that's all I did. And, and you know, I was probably like a C-minus student because I just wanted to play, and that's how it was my upbringing. And then finally, when I was 15, I made the Columbia national team 15 and under. And that was, that was huge for me. You know, there's a lot of validation and obviously my family was very proud of me and we went to Argentina and to be able to play against guys that, you know, now, you know, many years later, you realize, you know, Barbosa, Nene Hilario and all those guys. And that's when you like, you don't feel as bad losing to those guys, you know, cause they were pros. Yeah. Um, but it, it was just a, a great experience for me growing up back home and, 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 you know, just being able to, uh, 
just move up in the ranks so quickly. You know, now that I look back, it was just a practice. I practice all day, every day. It's interesting to hear. I never knew that about you, that you started high school at 11 and you started playing basketball at that age too. And then from 11 to 15, you made the state team, which is, which would be considered kind of like the Olympic team or the junior Olympic team for that area. Is that how that was? Well, it's more for like, um, you know, here, here in the States, uh, you know, it's, it's so much larger than back home. So when you make the States, it's making like the, the, uh, the state of California, having California having a team, you know, like that will never happen because there's so many people in Texas, you know. So back home you can do that and then you go to the national tournament and that's the one. You essentially train the whole year to play one-week tournament, which wow. is kind of crazy, you know. So when you get to this tournament, there's a reason kids are going to play so hard. This is all you, you know, yeah. nowadays with AU, I mean, these kids are playing three, four days, uh, three, four games in one day. And, you know, it's just the value to that is not as great. So you, you were out there and you played uh, on the state team at 15, but you eventually came out to California to play high school, I guess, uh, high school ball again uh, in California. Yes. Talk about how you made it out here to California, then what your high school experience was as a player here. Yeah, so uh, my mom was able, and, and my dad, to, to make a huge sacrifice financially for me, and I knew that. And they just uh, signed me up for an exchange student program. Hmm. Uh, just, you know, and it was with Whittier College, you know, up in the uh, city of Whittier. And when we were talking through the process, all I kept asking is, can I play basketball with the team? You know, I was like, I'll take care of all the other stuff. And they, you know, obviously they're trying to take their money. So yeah, of course <laughs> you can, you can play basketball. So I showed up and it just happens that the program was using some of the facilities of Whittier College, obviously, you know, all these kids from Korea and, you know, all over the world. And here's this Colombian just sitting here and all I'm asking is basketball. Mm-hmm. Where's basketball, right? Like that's this, we got to get this going. So I go and meet with the coach. I don't remember his name. And, and, you know, he finally explained to me and I had to translate, you know, I didn't speak any English at the time. I was just learning uh, that, no, it doesn't work that way. You know, you got to be in classes. You got to do this. You got to do that. And then later I find out there were D3. So that was not really even an option for me because I didn't have the money to, to go there. So that was tough. Then I get a tip from a friend and say, hey, don't do that. Go to high school. I'll be your guardian. And, and, and then we can get you going. So I showed up to Lacerna High School, hmm. right? And Coach Lowe, I think he's still there. He's close to retiring. Just this massive, I think he's probably 6'7", six, 6'8". Six, and then I showed up and, and I said, look, basketball. <laughs> you know, I'm ready to play. And he's like, you know, now looking back, there weren't too many guys like me showing up to his yeah. gym. And, you know, we play and then this guy just, you know, he bought me a beautiful dinner that night and took good care of me. He said, yes, you're going to play basketball for us. And um, unfortunately, around that time is when Artisha High School had all those problems. I think it was some Puerto Rican kids that they were probably like 21 or 22, and they were playing high school ball. And, you know, that whole thing came out. So the CIF, for like a year or two, canceled international kids. Uh, the eligibility to play until they figure out how they were going to go about and, and be able to really, you know, find out how all these kids were. Um, so I didn't get to play. And that just broke my heart. You know, I mean, for the first time in my life, I was 16. Yeah, 16, 17 at the time. I didn't I didn't get to play basketball. That was really, really hard for me. Um, and um, all I did was, okay, well, I need to get something out of here. I'm going to get my diploma. I'm going to graduate from high school. That's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to learn the language. And, you know, this is what I'm doing. And at at, at one point, I stopped speaking Spanish. So, you know, if you speak Spanish to me, I'm not, I'm not speaking to you. Because I'm going to learn, like, when I go back home, I'm going to bring something with me. Mm-hmm. You know? And, and that was kind of, so that was, that was hard. But it, it forced me to get out of my comfort zone and, and being able to be somewhat away from the game. Uh, and, and just tap into other talents that, that I have. So let me get this straight. You, you go to this foreign exchange student program through Whittier College, but then you meet some guy who says, hey, don't do the program. Come live with me, and I'll get you plugged into a high school. So you just you, – so Whittier College got you down there, but then you left yeah. the Whittier College program. Is that what I'm understanding? 
That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And this guy was Roberto Lacester. So this Mexican older guy. This is like out of a movie, Nick. I'm, I'm telling you, Coach. So he, at the time, I'm probably, I don't know, Roberto is probably 60. Now, keep in mind, I'm 16, 17. Yeah. So that looks kind of weird, right, in front of a lot of people. But he just took care of me. Like, his, his wife uh, is Colombian. He yeah. passed away already about eight, nine years ago. But I looked at him. He was my first, like, real mentor. We used to sit in the backyard and just talk. And he was like, speak English, you know? And every day he would teach me one word. And that was my introduction to mentorship. I didn't know at the time, but that's what it was. And we'd just drink coffee and we'd just talk. So, so, did your parents, so did your parents know that they brought you down there for this program and you left the program to go live with some stranger and yeah. try to go to Cerna High School? What'd your parents say? Yeah, um, you know, they just... You know, it's really, that's a great question. They were, they were four. I mean, obviously they want to talk to uh, Lorena is uh, Roberto's wife. And I think her being Colombian make them feel comfortable, you know, and talking, you know how it is. I mean, you start talking about the same cities and the same stuff that, you know, you, you feel better about it. And, you know, there was a younger, um, their son, it was probably a couple years younger than me. And, and I think they saw an opportunity for me to also mentor him. Mm-hmm. you know now we never have the same interest so that didn't really happen I just want to hang out with Roberto that's all I wanted to do which is kind of strange I mean I don't know how many 17 year old kids want to hang out with a 60 year old guy that's that's very interesting so you didn't get to play high school basketball were you allowed to practice with the team and work with the coach at all uh a little bit but it's just it was too hard for me mm-hmm. so I just because you, you know I just the games you just didn't want to be a part of it yeah, I just I couldn't do it, so I just moved on, and, and like I said, I just locked in and, and um, you know, my studies and studied really hard, and I was getting like little part-time jobs, uh, doing anything, doing anything to make little extra money and make things easier for my parents. So then, once you made it to California, the first team that you actually played on was when you went to COS and played for Coach Rusty Smith. Explain how you make it from La Serna not playing. Okay all the way up to Visalia to play for a Hall of Fame coach out in the state of California. Yes. So <clears throat> once I was done with La Serna High School, now my visa is about to expire. Mm-hmm. And my mom is like begging me, you need to stay. I'll do whatever. I'll pay. And I, you know, I know my mom pretty well. It's like my mom's about to do something really stupid. Like she still doesn't understand how expensive it is. And it's like, no, you can't. You can't afford that. You know, like when you go from Columbia pesos to dollars, it's a big jump. So I kind of bounced around. I went to, and you probably don't even know this, but I was just bouncing around and someone made a contact and I ended up going to West Hills College in Coalinga, California for that summer. Okay. okay. And showed up and I was there this whole summer. Meanwhile, we're trying to, you know, they're like, okay, we can do this for you. You know, they're trying to make it work financially for me. And they had dorms. There's one of the few JCs in the state that actually have dorms. And as, I'm, as we're trying to figure out um, my um, papers, my passport, my visa, and all that, it, it was throughout the whole summer. So I took a bus. Uh, this is the things that you never forget in life, right? So I'll get in a Greyhound. Now, keep in mind, I'm 17, 18. I get in a Greyhound from Colin, California. I go to San Francisco. I'm all, this is me. There's no yeah. one with me, Okay. So I get to San Francisco and I'll have all my notes because obviously back then there was no cell phones. There's none of that stuff going on. Right. And I have all my papers, address, uh, directions, you know, it's like, Lord help me. And I get it. I stay in this hotel. I go to the uh, immigration office in San Francisco and I did all of that for nothing. Cause they say, no, you need to go back. And I was like, well, shoot, you could have told me that on the phone, <laughs> you know? So I go back. To calling, I say, Coach, this ain't gonna work. I call my parents, Mom, I just gotta go back. And she's crying. No, you'll ne- if you come back, you'll never go back. It's like, Mom, I promise, I'll get it. Like, I know how good I am, I'll get a scholarship. So I went back home and I played for the national team again. And, you know, in a lot of ways, I'm kind of telling people lies because, man, how was this taste? You know, it's, oh, man, it was unbelievable. You know, I was like, crap, it sucked. I couldn't, I didn't get to do anything, you know, that I really wanted to do. And, um, then from there, it was, 
it was so satisfying to me, Coach, because I was I made good on my promise to my mom that I was coming back. So my friend Edgar Moreno, who actually ended up signing and playing at Texas, he gets an offer to go to a junior college in Texas, Lone Morris College, because he's now out of business. And he tells them, hey, I have a friend, Hardy Spria, that you should take a look at. So we make this video, okay? And this is way back then. So you got the camera going and, you know, and I'm dunking it. And it's just me. And I'm dribbling and he's throwing me lobs. And believe it or not, back then, I, you know, I used to dunk a little bit. And I know when I was at Fullerton, it was barely touching the rim. But, um, and we send it and they say, yeah, we, we want both of you guys. Next thing you know, you know, six months later, we're in Jacksonville, Texas. And we had a great season. We had really good players. We had about, I'd say, nine or ten Division One players on that team. That team was loaded. Mm-hmm. We made the national tournament in, uh, in Kansas. We had a great run. But, obviously, Jacksonville, Texas, when Walmart is your go-to place to have fun, <laughs> is not a place for someone like me. Okay? Mm-hmm. So, I get in contact. And, and this is where Roster Smith come into play. And Rob Oriana, a new some Colombian guy in New York. Mm-hmm. And then Rob Oriana gets in contact with Roster. And essentially, you know, now that I'm older, I'm understanding, like, okay, he was placing me at a place. And then if I turn out to be good enough, I can just get it from, from him. Right. And I just got on a plane and, you know, and I'm thinking, yeah, finally, California, right? Beach and palm trees. This is beautiful. And, <laughs> The plane landed. I'm like, all I see is cows and it just smells. And I'm like, what the heck is this? Oklahoma? <laughs> and next thing you know, I'm in Visalia, California. And uh, so that was, that's how the whole thing came about being with, with Coach Smith. And, and he changed my life. He really did. He was awesome to me. So Coach Smith is a Hall of Fame coach, like we said. Uh, talk to me about how that first real structure and organization in a program, maybe the Texas one is also very good too, but talk about how coach Smith mentored you and how he changed your life and kind of how he put you on the path that you're on now. Yeah. I think the first thing uh, was the discipline and, and the no excuses mentality. I think it, it was, it was a lot better with coach Smith than it was at Lomore scholars. And I think at Lomore scholars, we were so talented. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm not saying he was a bad coach. Um, but he was not as disciplined as Coach Smith. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, Coach Smith was was rough, you know. I mean, I've seen him plenty of times just kicking the ball off to the rafters, and, you know, he's going crazy. And, and, and one of the things that was so amazing to him is he can just rip you apart. And the next day, you know, as a kid, at the time, you're 18, 19, you're always carrying all that stuff with you, even the next day, Right. And I still remember, I mean, he probably kicked me out of practice, I don't know, like 12 times, maybe more. And he said to me, why are you mad at me? And I was like, no, I thought you were mad at me. It's like, no, that was yesterday. (laughs) I was like, I'm good. Let's get to work. So I learned that from him. You got to let things go, you know, and the structure was unbelievable. He took such a good care of me and his wife, and he'll just take me to his house and, you know, we'll go swimming. Because he knew I need a little bit more love than the other guys because I'm here by myself. Yeah. You know, I was here by myself. So, uh, and in return, you know, I was a really good player for him. And, and, and I thought I made him proud. Like, I played I play really hard. And, uh, and he was actually the one who inspired me to become a coach. Mm-hmm. Because when I saw his lifestyle and how much fun this guy was having every day, and I looked at his house and his wife and his kids, I was like, and I asked, I was like, how do you get to become a coach? And he said, well, if you want to do junior college, you got to get your master's. It's like, well, shoot, I'm going to write that down. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get my master's. This sounds like a really good life. And that's how the whole coaching thing started in my mind way back, I don't know, what is that, 2002. So that was a long time ago. So you, you, you learn a lot from him. You have really good years there at COS. And then eventually you end up back at Fullerton through that Coach Oriana connection. Talk about the transition from going from a junior college to Division I, uh, both in the, the coaching, the structure, and the level of play. Yeah, it was, uh, it was drastic. I mean, I still remember Popso and Baba Kart Kamara, and I walk in the gym and go like, who are these freaking guys? You know, and it's like, 
you go from being the man and, you know, I averaged whatever it was, 18 points and 10 rebounds and doing all those things to like, hey, man, you better work really hard if you even want to see the floor. Yeah. And um, I think that was the biggest adjustment for me at first. It was like the talent, you know, like it was, it was real. And, you know, again, at the time, I didn't know Pop was, you know, he was going to be a second round pick. Yeah. You know, um, but that part was, was, was hard. Uh, I didn't think we had the best uh, character guys overall on that team. So uh, that was hard for me too. Because yeah. I was just kind of the kid, hey, I'm going to go to class. I'm going to take care of business. I was never an angel per se, but I took care of business. And I just thought the coaches were always chasing players and trying to figure out how to get people eligible and all that, which, you know, later I took those lessons with me as a coach. And, and now we, we put such a premium into recruiting character. Obviously, you got to be talented, but you better recruit character. Uh, because that's just is going to make a huge difference in your program. So the, the level of play was much higher, uh, both on the team and the competition. And you're right. Those first years, uh, that first year, especially, you know, there was, uh, it was, it was a, it was a tough chemistry for everyone to get along. Yes. Um, but eventually, you know, uh, things got, got, got back on track and got together. Talk about what you learned from the coaches, coach Burton, coach Newman, uh, coach Levy, uh, coach Morton. Talk about what you learned from those coaches there at Fullerton. Yeah, so much. You know, as a player, you know, I still remember uh, accountability and toughness were like the main two things, you know, from Coach B. You know, it was just no BS kind of coach. I don't want to hear your little excuses. Get to work. And then the other thing that that I learned from, from Coach B, too, that serves me so well now as a coach is role definition. Mm-hmm. Role definition. And I still remember he telling me, don't you ever shoot the basketball, I will kill you, you know, or something along those lines. So, you know, in my head, I'm like, screw this guy. I can shoot. Like, mm-hmm. I'm a good shooter. I'm a, you know, and finally I figured it out. Okay, if I want to play, I need to do what he wants me to do. And and obviously I wanted to play and I ended up doing that. And, and that's, that's so key because I think a lot of times, coaches tiptoe around that and you just got to tell the kid you know hey this is what you're good at don't be trying to show me what you can do and go and do what you do best and and that was my first time that someone actually like told me don't do something you know um I think coach Levy was was uh his work ethic it was uncanny you know to me I mean he was just uh, tremendous. Uh, Man, he just worked 24-7, yeah. seems like. And Coach Newman, his personality, yeah. you know, his personality just is such an easy guy to connect with. Um, and obviously, also, I always thought he was just such a great teacher. Like, he explained things so well on the floor. I always understood what he wanted to do. He was clear. Uh, he was to the point. And there was a reason that, you know, Coach B uh, gave him so much freedom. You know, as you know, uh, you were there and, you know, not everyone was coaching the team, you know, and, and Andy, Coach Newman did, did a lot of the coaching. So you went from, you know, you, you, you kind of struggled there a bit. The, the level was higher than what you were used to. You had coaches redefining what you think your game is. How do you go from that where you're, where you're, the competition is really high and you're not sure how to fit in to becoming an all league type player by the time you're a senior year? What did you do personally? Yeah, I think the the main thing was I had a really good meeting with coach after my junior year because our junior year to me was really a survival kind of year mm-hmm. for everyone. Everyone was just surviving, really. Um, and we talked, and he was, again, very clear with me. Hey, I think he, here are your talents. Uh, I, I think you have a great motor. I think you're really tough. I think you're a great rebounder do those things you know you're a great defender and then everything else will come for you and I was at peace I was finally at peace with with you know being able to to be okay with my role Mm -hmm. and 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 I was you know I was going to be a senior in college so my maturity obviously was getting better and um you know I was able to train really really hard that summer 
whew, I trained really, really hard. And every game I played that senior year, I felt I was the strongest guy. Like no one was going to, you know, although I'm undersized, 6'4", post player, I don't care you're 6'10", 7 footer, you were going to have a long night with me. Mm-hmm. Because you weren't benching what I was benching. You weren't flipping tires like I was. You weren't running, the, you know, and I did it all. And I just, and that's what, um, you know, helped me, propel me to have such a good senior year. Your senior year was cut short. Um, you tear your ACL. Uh, you go out for the season. We're on a really good run at that time. Uh, talk about that process and being a big part of the team, a starter on the team, to tearing your ACL and then to watching the team really have a lot of success even without you. Yeah, it was it was really hard. Uh, I mean, you know, I don't I don't know if I ever being depressed. I don't know if I was depressed back then, but I was not myself. I'll mm-hmm. tell you that much. So that was the first time. I mean, obviously in high school, Lacerna, I was not allowed to play, but now I couldn't play. Yeah. And and that was hard because that was always an outlet for me. And it's my passion. It's my love. And and that was really, really rough. Um, and that triggered my interest towards sports psychology and learning more about how to handle uh I see some ending injury, which, you know, a lot of times I know perspective is really good. And people always say, hey, count your blessings. But, hey, man, I'm still going through it, yeah. you know, at that time. So it's like I think people are so quick to always uh, minimize what you're going through by, you know, telling you, well, it's, it's a lot worse for someone else. It's like, no, but that's still bad for me, mm-hmm. you know. And, um, and that's when Camp Revisa, uh, rest in peace, Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he was such a great mentor for me as well there. And and I think that really helped me and he's helping me now all the skills that I learned in the program um, to, to now use him as a, as a coach. Uh, I was very happy for the team. You know, as, as you know, I was always rooting for my guys. I still remember after my surgery when uh, Ralphie Holmes hits that big time shot at Oregon State. And I'm running on the floor with my crotches, you know, because I just have surgery. So you can see there's a real joy there. Yeah. Uh, I was never, you know, at that time I was, I was almost over feeling sorry for myself and just cheering the team and, and, and just doing whatever, uh, whatever I needed to do to, to help them, you know. And, and I thought that was a, a very positive experience for me. I think that's great advice. You know, it's tough when you go from being – a player where everyone's, you know, you're, you're, you're being catered to each day. The coaches are on you each day. You're getting coached every day. So now you're getting hurt and it's the next guy up and you weren't bitter and you weren't upset. Um, you know, you were, uh, you were uh, upset at your circumstance, but you didn't take it out on anybody else. And you mm-hmm. learned a lot from that. Did you learn from watching the game from the sideline? Uh, were you able to learn from watching it while you were hurt? Um, you know, Nick, the, the the real answer is not really mm-hmm. because I was just, I was just trying to figure out how can I come back? Yeah. You know, and I was trying to figure out, okay, I'm hurt. Uh, my visa is going to expire in a year. Mm. What's my next step? That's all I was thinking about. You know, again, there's no real home to go to. Yeah. Although I had a home, that's not, you know, my future was here. So I was trying to figure all that out. So, my maturity level back then was not at that uh, at that level, if that makes sense, to really like, hey, let's begin, let's get better. Like, my thing was like, gosh, what am I going to do next year? <laughs> you know, that's that's all I was thinking about. How is this going to work? Because keep in mind, my plan was I'm going to go and play professionally. I got good. I know I can play. I'm going to make some money. It's going to be fun. And now all of a sudden, wait a minute, I can't play anymore. You talked about, you know, being a survivor and your role and really, you know, going day to day and week to week. And I think that's probably where you were there. But I think it's great that you, you know, now you use that experience to help players because it's inevitable that players get hurt and some of them have to sit out and some of them are season ending. And you had your heart broken at the maybe one of the worst times, the end of your senior year, uh, to have that have to happen. But it's been able to help you, I'm sure, mentor other kids who have gone through that. So you did get better, and you ended up playing professionally, like you said. Uh, talk about your professional experience and getting paid to play. Yeah, it was awesome. It was awesome. I had a, I had a great time. 
Well, real quick, Coach B gave me the opportunity, and, and we'll get to that here in a second, mm -hmm. as a grad assistant coach. So I was able to have two years to just really be around the game and rehab and, you know, forever grateful to Coach B for, for incredible opportunity. Then by my second year, he's telling me, hey, you're, you're playing pretty good. I think you should go play. And at the time, I married my, my wife, Shannon, and it was fascinating because I was still debating between going coaching right away or going playing, and, and she was awesome. She, she gave me the green light, and she said, look, I think you should go. I don't want you to turn 40, look back and said, you know, could have, would have, should have kind of deal. Just go do it. Have no regrets. And, and that was awesome. I mean, I went back home uh, playing for all my family. This is the first time my family seen me play. Gosh, since I was probably 17 or so. So it's been, it's been a while. And, uh, and we were able to, to win a, a professional title back home. And I was reunited with my good friend Edgar Moreno on the same team. So that was just, you know, just having those pictures, having those, those, those moments. Uh, I will never – I won't trade them for, for anything. Um, and that was a, an amazing season for me. Then from there, uh, I got a contract, went to Venezuela, which is a, a much better league than Colombia and play for Marinos, uh, the Oriente, which is a great team. That later I go to find out that actually Anthony Mason, one of my favorite guys, played on that team. And I was like, wow, what a small world. And uh, it, was, it was fun. It was a lot of fun. Uh, I had a great time. And it, it was all about joy. It was all about playing hard, being back there, being free, doing what I love. And unfortunately, um, right before the playoffs, uh, I, I go down and I tore my ACL on my older knee. And as soon as I went down, I, I knew it was over because mm -hmm. I was not going to go through all that emotional pounding and the rehab and all that. I was like, that's it. it it's over. And, uh, you know, I had a great run. So you have a good career overseas. You have no regrets. Um, unfortunately, your body didn't hold up. And now you're coming back to get into the coaching game. Let's circle back now to Cal State Fullerton, where you came to work for Coach Burton. Talk about now being on the other side, whereas you were a player, you were a scholarship guy. Now you're now you're on the bottom of the coaching totem pole. Yeah, I was nobody. I was nobody. I still remember my first meeting. I don't know if you were there uh, in the meeting yet or not. And I'm kind of in the corner, you know, and um, they started talking and I'm just kind of you know, watching the meeting, the staff meeting. And, you know, I raised my hand and Coach B looks at me. He said, Hardy, just shut up and take notes. <laughs> I don't want to hear from you unless I ask you a question. And I went, whoa, okay, sounds good, <laughs> sounds good, Coach. I got it, roger that. And, you know, what a great lesson, you know. You don't know anything. You got to be humble enough to know that just shut up and learn. And, and learn I did, you know, and, and I took a bunch of notes and, and I was a sponge and I just learned so much, you know, from Coach B, from Andy. And at the same time, I was getting my master's and, mm -hmm. you know, those were long days, as you know, you know, you're working all day with the team, uh, practice. And then by the time some people are going home, uh, you know, you and I are going back to school at 6 p.m. to go and get our master's done, you know, but it was all worth it. So you start there on the bottom and you spend a couple years at Cal State Fullerton. Uh, what did you learn? Oh, excuse me. Then you go to Citrus JC, correct? Yeah, yeah. Um, now, I would like to add that one of the main things that I learned at Cal State Fullerton was you're always trying to find a way to create more responsibility for yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, and that was one of, you know, Coach Newman's lines because at times, when you're just kind of a support grad assistant coach slash manager, whatever you needed to do, sometimes you just kind of find yourself just there and you feel like I'm not doing much, you know? And, and when I went back to him, that's what he told me. He said, Hey, you want to get so good that coach starts giving you more and more responsibility. Like that's, and that was a great lesson for me. So then, you know, when I got back <clears throat> from, from playing professionally, uh, I always knew Coach Croy, Rick Croy. He recruited me a little bit when I was at Sequoias. And 
you know, we always talk about, hey, whenever you're ready, you know, I would love to have you come and be part of my staff. And he gave me the opportunity. You know, I was in a, in a really tough time in, in, in my life. And um, he just opened the doors. And as you know, you know, coaching at the junior college level, unless you're the head coach, you don't, you don't make any money. You know, so you're talking about, you know, doing something that you really love. And, and I did that with him for two years. And that's where my real foundation of my coaching philosophy and everything I believe in came from. Um, him and I are so similar. I just learned so much from him. And I was able to adjust a lot of the things that I learned from, from uh, Coach Newman and, and Coach Burton and Coach Levy to now all of a sudden I had a, a different view how to do things. And, and that was a lot of fun for me to be able to, to have that contrast. And, and um, you know, and Rick was just so good because right away it's like, hey, go do it. And that's the beauty of junior college is you get to go do it. Yeah. You know, at the Division One level, there are so many rules. You can't do this. You can't do that. Junior college, go and work them out. Go and meet with the guys. Go and make sure the classes are. So I, I did it all. You know, go and figure out how we can get an apartment for four guys, <laughs> you know, and, and that's what we like to call like real coaching. Yeah, that is real coaching, you know. So, I mean, incredible. I mean, we won so many games and just so blessed. Just think about the coaching staff. Uh, Chris Acker, who is now the assistant coach at San Diego State, was in that staff. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Coach Croy is the head coach here at CBU. Uh, Richard Wellman is one of the assistant coaches here at, at Cal Baptist. Uh, Brett Lauer is the head coach now at Citrus College. I mean, wow, we, we did it. You know, guys are, guys are doing it. And, and obviously, everything started with Rick giving all these hungry, poor guys an opportunity. You move up after that, then you go to Humboldt. And now that's a, little, that, that's a university, NCAA completely different from junior college talk about now as you start to get your feet wet in that world what the college coaching is like and what your responsibilities and roles were yeah uh coach kinder uh gave me my first full-time job you know and i was over the moon man i mean health insurance the whole nine you know i just felt like man i'm a i'm a grown man final you know kind of deal um so forever grateful to coach kinder um what a, what a wonderful opportunity for me because I was able, in a way, I was pretty comfortable at Citrus. Loved what I was doing, uh, but I was able to kind of go do it, you know, by myself, so to speak. Uh, it's easy when you're comfortable in a place just to be there and never really bet on yourself, you know, because everything is so good. And, and obviously, I needed the money, too. You know, Shannon was done with, the, the you know, her work and all day and, and me just telling all these wonderful stories, but then there's no money coming in. So that didn't, that was not going to fly for too long. Um, so when I get in a, a, a massive U-Haul and pack all this stuff and man, we drove up that one-on-one. Um, but that was a, that was a great experience too, because when I was in conversation with coach Kinder, um, that was his first year as a head coach. And I still remember this. And this is part of the, the grit you know, the drive that you got to have as a coach is I'm talking with him. I'm on the phone. First time I'm on the phone with him and he said, Hey, I'll just meet you at the final four and we can, you know, we can just meet there. And I said, well, how about, um, how about just come, I'll come tomorrow. And he's like, coach, do you have any idea where Humboldt County is? And I said, no, but I can look it up, you know? And, and he kind of laughed and, uh, you know, I looked it up later and it's like a 14 hour drive. And, uh, and you know, what I ended up doing coach is I put two of my best players in the car the next day and I waited for them to get out of class probably like around 7 PM, 8 PM. And I drove the whole night to Eureka, California. And I showed up with these two great players. One ended up signing with me, Randy Hunter who ended up turning out to be an uh, all-conference guy and all-American and all that stuff. And, you know, it just showed Coach Kinder, wow, this guy's serious. And I think to me that was the difference because there was real no connections, right? But I I thought just me getting in that car and driving and showing up, 
I think just spoke volumes to what I was willing to do for the program. So you, you were there for a couple of years and then you end up back with coach Croy at Cal Baptist. And this has been your longest tenure. Talk about now, now you're division one coach. Um, you're at the top of, uh, of college basketball. Talk about what, give me what, what a day in your shoes is like as a division one coach and all your roles and responsibilities from the time you wake up to the time you put your head on the pillow. Yeah. You, you know, the best way to describe is, is you're never off. You're mm-hmm. always on. And, and that's not, that's not for everyone. You know, you, you got to really, really love what you do. Um, you know, coach Croy has been preparing me to, to become a head coach since I met him, um, you know, and then that progressed for me to really put in a plan together to become a head coach. So the main thing is I just, I think like a head coach all the time. Mm-hmm. I know I'm not making all the decisions, but I think like that. And I present all of that to coach Croy uh, from that point of view. Uh, and I think he really appreciates that. So, you know, recruiting is number one. You, you gotta be, you gotta be thinking recruiting all the time uh, and, and be, and be a strategic about it. You can't just, you can't just do what everyone else does. You know, you got to find a niche. You got to find a unique relationship where you can tap into your talent and really make something happen. Cause at the end of the day, uh, you got to get the guy. That's the only, that's the only way, you know, you, you did a great job. You know, it's like coach B used to say, if you finish second, all that means is you're the first loser. Mm-hmm. You know, those are all those little lines that he, he, he gave us. Um, so you're always thinking about that and obviously your team, your team, how can I get our guys better? You know, I work with, I work with our, with our post players, the fours and the fives and, you know, some of the other guys I'm in charge of the defense, but mostly I spend time with, with bigs and, and I'm always looking for articles. I'm always looking for inspiration. I'm always looking for motivation so I can give them, uh, because the real, to me, the real definition of leadership is can you move somebody from point a to point b Mm -hmm. you know and really see that development i mean we can talk all you want about philosophies and all these different things but at the end of the day can you move the kid can you get him to buy in and and at the end of the day that's what it's all about uh once they start talking like you talk that's how you know you're doing a really good job and that's, that's essentially my job. Like, it's your own call. Like, you're never off, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and you got to love it, uh, you know, right now, obviously, because the whole situation, we're not out recruiting. But when you are recruiting, those are, those are long weeks, you know. There's many times we have to, you know, after a game, you got to hop on a, on a red eye and, you know, go from here to, to Dallas and go for, straight from the airport to a game. And, you know, now you got to watch you know, some junior college showcase kind of deal. And you're there from 8 a.m. until 9 p.m. Mm-hmm. And boy, that challenged you. You got to concentrate, you know, because you're already spending a lot of money and, and you're already there. So you better, you better do a great job. You know, you, you want to walk out of there and feel like you made a difference. You don't just want to go there just to tell people you did all that. That doesn't mean anything. At the end of the day, what, what can you get done? Um, so essentially, that's what it is. Here at CBU, we spend a ton of time with our guys. I constantly, we have meetings. I'm on the phone with them. I, we watch them film, uh, extra work, before, after practice, come back at night, do it again. And, you know, it helps that I live about seven minutes from, from the school. So I'm always, I'm always around. Um, you guys have made your, the transition to Cal Baptist from the D2 to D1 has been a record-breaking pace that you guys have set. Uh, 20 wins this year. Uh, you set records in uh, for the first years in D1s and road wins and conference wins of all time in the country. Talk about how you and Coach Croy have built have built that program up to be success, successful in D1 because I hear you talking recruiting, and I think that's a big part of it, but it's not all just players. Everyone in your level has players. What else yeah. do you guys do? Yeah, I think the first thing is our emphasis on leading guys. You know, and I think a big part of that before you can get to that is the staff, the coaching staff relationships. And unfortunately, in this business, sometimes guys are looking for, you know, more whatever you want to call it, more money, uh, more credit, uh, more whatever. And 
if you can get a coaching staff to really work together, pull for one another, and have real meaningful relationships, it makes a big difference. And it starts there. It starts with us, and then it gets to spread out to the team. And those are the things, as you know, Coach, that the kids, they can see it, they can feel it, yeah. and they know of your lines. Mm-hmm. They just know, you know. Um, so I think I think it starts there with the coaching staff. I think Coach Croy really empowers uh, his coaches to lead. He's not the only one talking. Uh, we all get to talk and, and, and really make a difference. I think that's very impactful. Um, I have been in coaching staffs that, that's not the case. You know, it's just one or two guys coaching the team. Um, so <clears throat> I'll say that the, those are the main two. And then the one right underneath all of that is player development. Uh, we spent a lot of time with guys and we have had some great stories uh, of kids that were non-recruited out of high school, uh, but we loved them and and then came in, and every year, gradually, they just got better and better and better. And a good example of that is uh, DeJon Davis uh, from Oakland Tech. You know, he didn't really have any offers. Uh, he came here his freshman in, in uh, sophomore year. Uh, we were D2 at the time. Uh, he had a great, a great player in front of him, so he didn't play that much. And then this last two years, he ended up leading the whack. I mean, he was essentially a double-double guy. And he, he ended up leading the whack in, in rebounds. Uh, and I think the last guy who did that was uh, Siakam when he was playing at New Mexico State. So player development, you think, is big. What are some things that you do when you're working out players or your assistant coaches are working out players that you have seen that work and that transfer over from the drills to the games and so on? What are some of the things that you do that help develop those players? Yeah, uh, <clears throat> the, the, you got to start with their fitness. Their mm-hmm. body's got to be, you know, we, we got to identify, okay, is this kid's got to lose weight, that he needs to get stronger, starts there. Uh, we do a really good job in the weight room. Uh, I have heard many coaches in our conference uh, give us compliments, like, man, your guys, are, your guys are really, really strong. You know, they move well. They're, they, can, they can really sustain uh, the pounding of the season. You know, we have very, very minor – injuries so it starts there so that's you know again that's individual um like one of the things that we do we put our guys on the scale every monday Hmm. right before we go to weights and that's a good uh way to keep track you know you got to really figure out right like it's hard to get better at something if you're not constantly measuring what you're trying to get better at it's common sense but a lot of people don't don't do it and for us, it's very important. It's like even our, our shooting drills, we keep track of all of those. Mm-hmm. And we have a database that goes back seven years now. And it's fun to look back and take a look at all of that. It doesn't go away. So it starts with their fitness. I think if you're a Division One player or Division Two, if you're serious about basketball, you have your goal is to be in world-class shape. Yeah. Like nothing less than that. If, 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 you're, if you're settling for anything less than that, it's going to be very hard for you. Um, now, on the court, once you start, obviously, that's happening simultaneously at, at the same time. Once that happens, um, fundamentals, you know, like even for our big guys, like we, we just got a transfer from TCU. Mm-hmm. And uh, I still remember his first workout, you know, we just doing Mikeins. And, you know, we're doing Mikeins and Mikeins, reverse Mikeins, and then we're doing hook shots and hook shots and, hooks and free throws, and then we did it again. And, free, and then, you know, he's like, Coach, that's it? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's it. That's it, big boy. And he's like, oh, I thought we were – no. I, we got to figure out if you can make a layup first. Mm-hmm. Then we can get to the other stuff. Um, for big guys, I think it's so important to work in passing – uh, you, you got to really work on your passing. I, I don't know. I think it's probably a skill that coaches don't really spend too much time on. It's so easy to just go and shoot right away, you know, and start doing stuff. Like ball handling is great. Because you got to remember, the bigs don't get to really feel the ball that much during the game. Yeah. You know, so you got to give them extra reps. So we do a lot of ball handling with them. Uh, we do a lot of passing with them. And, and like I said, just very basic fundamental skills can you get a deep catch and make a hook shot 
and we do that move over and over and over and over. And once they can actually do it and demonstrate that the skill is getting better, now we can move to something more advanced, face it out from the elbow so they can drive it more or shoot it. But they have to demonstrate first that they can actually make a post move and score the ball. So now we've developed them as players. Uh, I know you're a big relationships guy, and you talked about that with other coaches that you look up to. How is it, how do you build relationships, one? And, you know, it's hard in your business because there's so much turnover with players coming in and coming out. How are you able to build that base in just a short, short time that you have with them? Yeah, you, you got to give them your, your most valuable asset, which is your time. You know, and that's one of the things we, we do is called uh, breakaway. We call it breakaway. Now, with all the rules, we used to go to a cabin and take the team and do all that, and that was fun. But we we actually do it here now. And in, in, in the book, uh, it says, what are you willing to sacrifice? Right? And you got to really think about that. What are you willing to sacrifice this season? And I always put down, I'm willing to sacrifice my time with my family which is the most precious thing that I have, right? My seven-year-old daughter, my two-year-old son, my wife, I'm willing to sacrifice that. So if I'm giving you what's more valuable to me in my life, that speaks volumes to how my commitment towards you and your development. Now, in return, I don't want anything less than your best. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a fair exchange, you know? Um, so that's, that's how I do it. I, I think, you know, I like to bring guys over to my house. You know, we got a, a form, it's called like occasional meals and you fill out the form cause you know, you know, you got all these rules, you got to follow all these rules, but, um, you know, and you just break bread with the kids and, and you let them see how you treat your wife. You let them see how you parent your kids and you don't really have to talk about too much of that. They just, they're yeah. seeing it. And then eventually it comes up. And then we go into deeper concepts, not just helping you get to the NBA and, and becoming a great player, but let's talk about your finances. Let's talk about what, what it takes to actually being able to buy a house and put yourself, you know. So now all of a sudden, they're like, wait a minute. Coach really has my best interest at heart. Like he's looking at me more than just a player. He's looking at the whole person and they, you know, and we're so, um, I think we're so die on that coach that I don't really even have to think about it. Like that's just, that's the way of life. That's just what we do. I think that's great. I really like to hear that because, you know, your business is so cutthroat and, you know, it, it's very easy to run a division one program and never get to know the players and still be very good. And uh, the fact that you take that time out, uh, to spend time with them, to be with them. I think that's great. Um, I also liked, you know, you know, a lot of coaches come in and you mentioned this, you know, how much money do you make? How are you going to do this? How many years that you talked about that you work for free, uh, you know, as a grad assistant and as yeah. an assistant coach, when coach told you, you don't say another word until I, I, I asked you to be in junior college where you're working around the clock for free and then going to D2 where you finally had a job and we don't need to talk numbers, but I know how much those D2 assistants make and it's not enough to live off of, not enough for a family. And then finally to work your way up now, you know, 15 years in the business to have yourself a good job and one that you've earned. And I think that's what a lot of people don't see. They see you here as this division one associate head coach. They say, Hey, I want that. I want to sit there on the bench. I want to be on ESPN. They do not, they don't, they don't see all the stuff that it took for you to even get in that seat. And, you know, all the sacrifices, the 14-hour trips up with no money in your pocket, you know, the recruiting guys, you're in, you're out, not making any money. That's the kind of stuff that gets you what you earn. And then that's so valuable for you to share with your players. Because if it was just all given to you, you, would be, you wouldn't be able to give your players, you know, what life really is and what, what it takes to do that. So that really warms my heart to hear that. Um, and from it, you guys have run a great program. I mean, like I said, you guys have won some real good accolades and, and continuing to move forward. You talked about this before, uh, different uh, websites or, or books or things or sayings that you have. What are some ways that you develop professionally as a coach? Yeah. <clears throat> the number one thing to me is you need to find a mentor. That's number one. Go and find somebody that is doing, doing what you want to do at a high, high level. 
find that person, figure it out, you know, and, and I'll tell you what, it's going to be more than just sending an email. Right. Cause you know, we get, we get, you know, thousands of emails, hundreds every single day. So, um, you, you know, you got to know somebody that knows somebody and get you in the door, go in West practice and develop a relationship with that guy. You know, that's what I did. That's what I did with coach Croy. And like you said, now I'm just, you know, very honored to, to be his associate head coach and, and walk, uh, you know, lock arms with him as we lead this program forward, you know, with the rest of the coaching staff. So that's number one. You got to figure that out. You got to be smart enough to figure out, okay, what do I want to do? And who is a mentor that can help me get there? That's the best way for me to develop as a coach. And I'm still doing it. I'm finding mentors all the time. Now it's at a different level, but those mentors are out there. You just got to go find them. Um, and you got to become, you know, in order for that mentor to really invest their time and energy in you, you got to become an attractive person, mm-hmm. right? Like you got to, you got to, there's got to be something about you that speaks, man, he really wants this. You got to be presentable. You got to, you got to be well-spoken. You got to work on yourself to find that mentor, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the other thing is, is books. I think, you know, we all heard the saying so many times, right? Leaders are readers, right? And you got to read. You got to read and, and, and constantly and learn. I mean, if, if someone takes the time to write a book, it takes, it takes a long time to write a book. If not, you can just ask somebody, have you written a book before? And the answer is probably going to say no, because <laughs> right? it takes a long time. And now they're putting all this knowledge and whatever, 300 pages, 350 pages, go and get it and read it. Um, but don't just do basketball reading. You have to expand your mind and challenge your mind. If you're only reading the easy stuff, you know, that's not, that, that's not going to challenge you. You're not going to get better there. So, you know, books like Good to Great is mm-hmm. a great book, mm-hmm. you know, that I will recommend. You know, Grit. You and I were talking about this not, not too long ago. And, you know, expand your mind. And, but finding a mentor so you can see what you're really going after, having him helping you. And I think reading is, is, is a critical part of, of development in, in any area of life, especially in coaching. Last thing I'll ask you here, uh, what advice do you have for uh, upcoming coaches, new coaches, coaches who want to be where you're at? Uh, what advice do you have for those guys or gals? Yeah, I, I think it's the same, um, the same advice I always give these kids. I think a lot of people don't really know what they want. So you got to figure out what you really want. That's number one. You got you to dig in deep and figure that out. You got to figure out what, what level do you want to coach that? You know, like I looked at you, like you always knew you want to be a high school teacher and coach at the high school level. And you got in that. And, and things worked out great for you. Uh, I think about Eric Glass with the Miami Heat, right? Like he wanted to be in the NBA. And, you know, the last two summers to see him coach uh, the summer league uh, Miami Heat team, it's like, whoa, look at this guy. I mean, he just, he used to rebound for me, mm-hmm. you know, and now he's, he's a head coach. Uh, and the same thing for me. Uh, it kind of evolved, you know, the dream was JC coach and then D2, that was better because now you got scholarships and now I'm here at the division one level. I was like, I like this level, <laughs> you know, so really figure out which level you want to go into and attack it. Find out, you got to get in it. You got to get in it by any means necessary. Like no job is too small. And you also have to remember it is usually, is usually, a little bit harder than what you think. Yeah. And it's going to take a little bit longer than what you think. Yeah. And, and I think that's key because it's all, about, it's all about perseverance. You know, we talk a little bit about my story as a player, you know, all this stuff that it took for me to actually get on the core here in the States. And I just, I just stay with it. You know, you just, you just have to stay the course. If that's something that you really want, you have to stay the course because believe it or not, you give yourself a chance to, to actually go your way. You know, if you don't stay the course, then nothing is going to happen. But if you stay the course, you give yourself a greater chance to, to make it happen. 
Those are great words. Uh, Coach, how can our listeners reach you if they want to reach out to you for advice or leadership or, or philosophy things? How can they get a hold of you? Yeah, I mean, they can have my cell phone number. Um, they can call me whenever, text me whenever. I don't, I don't mind. Uh, 559-936-3206. So if, if they feel more comfortable uh, emailing me, that's fine as well. It's H Aspria, A-S-P-R-I-L-L-A at calbaptist.edu. And we will be rooting on the Cal Baptist Lancers uh, for the 2021 season next year. Hoping, of course, we're able to have it. Uh, yes. Coach Espria, thank you very much for joining us. I know how precious your time is, and, and this meant a lot. Thank you. Appreciate you, brother. Well, that does it for the podcast. I hope that you enjoyed it. If you'd like to reach out to me, you can email me at nicksonado at ymail.com. See you next time. Yeah.